So you lack diversity in your staff because honestly, you don't really care about having a diverse staff. Because if you did, it would look different. Seriously, it would look different if you cared. It's an excuse to say things like there aren't enough qualified applicants. Believe me, they are there, but they just don't want to work for you. So why is that? The solution is to take action, to do something. Hire help if you need to hire help and figure out how to attract educators of color to your campus. And what you're going to find is attracting these educators is actually the easy part. The hard part is supporting them while they work in your school and your district. And that's the topic we start with in today's podcast. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning runs from June 15th to July 13th, 2022. Apply by June 3rd and get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. All right, here we are, uh, BLBS podcast with uh, ruckus maker Terrell Key, who's an assistant principal at Collinsville High School currently serving as the president of Illinois School Council Association. I feel like I should uh, salute you on that. He recently became a site-based trainer for the American School Counselor Association. And this is, a, this is a brief bio. We'll have a much longer one on the website. But listen to these credentials, too. Named the Collinsville School District E-Educator of the Year. That was 2017. Recognized by the College Board 2018. Received the Lindenwood Alumni Spotlight 2019 was awarded the Illinois School Counselor of the Year 2021. What's up, Terrell? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What's going on? <laughs> all right, all right. Well, the first question where I want to start off is um, you've successfully been able to hire more educators of color than ever at your school. And I'd love to just unpack and hear what your system for success is. Well, it's really a collaborative effort. Um, like one, we have an amazing HR director, um, but we also have a committee. It's called our Chaos Diversity and Equity Committee. And that was one of the things that we thought like was really, really important. We wanted to make sure that kids had representation um, at our school. Our schools uh, 
roughly 20, 25% Hispanic, uh, maybe about 15 to 17% Black. Uh, we have Asian uh, students. We have, you know, of course, like white students and everything, right? But we wanted to make sure that we could uh, provide representation so that kids could see themselves um, you know, as leaders within the school community. So it's just been something that we've been working on like piece by piece and uh, we're making progress. That's great. And I love this idea that it's a collaborative. Uh, and, and here's the thing, though. I know that um, you've had to have some very honest conversations with your hiring committee, right? So, uh, you know, it's collaborating now. Cool. Uh, but how'd you get there? What, what did those honest conversations look like and sound like? So it uh, kind of happened pre-COVID, right? So it was like the January before COVID hit and we all kind of just sat down and we were just honest with each other, you know? And I told, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of our district leaders how I felt, you know, for like a couple of years, I was the only uh, black male staff member in the entire district and we're a large district. And it was something that we all felt like was something that we should really work towards, like, hiring, uh, like our, looking at our hiring practices and making them more inclusive. Another thing that we're doing now, just like kind of further on down the road, like to look, continue the trend is we also have a diversity and equity scholarship for, uh, for teachers as part of our grow your own program. Right. So we want our students, like, especially, you know, any student really, but our students of color, especially, we want them to come back to Collinsville. So we have a, um, a, a scholarship that pays out, each year. So, um, so you get a thousand dollars, you know, like each year in college, basically. So your freshman year, you get a thousand sophomore year, junior, senior. Right. And if it takes you five years, that's fine. And then when you come back, you'll get a bonus. And what we found is like, there's so many people that are interested in like contributing to the scholarship. So we have teachers that are having, um, money deducted from their paychecks to fund it. We also have, uh, corporations like in the community uh, that are donating and helping us fund it. Um, I think we're over like $75,000 now for this scholarship. And uh, we're, we're working like gradually to make sure that it's fully funded so that we could continue um, to provide $10,000 to students if they come back to Collinsville as teachers. That was such uh, an innovative approach of bringing talents right back to your community. Uh, I just thought that was awesome. So thanks for unpacking that a little bit. I was very curious about the funding. So I'm hearing, man, there's some really generous teachers saying, hey, actually take a little bit off of my paycheck to contribute to this. And I hear some uh, local businesses, corporations are helping out as well. I'm sorry if I missed this, but so uh, $1,000 per year, sign-in bonus if they come back and teach uh, where you're at in Collinsville. Has the program been around long enough, right, to see a student start right as a freshman and now head back as a teacher? No, this is the very first year. So uh, we have like our application approved and everything. Now we're thinking about right now, like if we should retroactively get someone since like we're receiving so much funding, but that's still a, still a, a topic of discussion right now. But it like, we're going to award the first one and then like this year and we should see, you know, like, and we're going to support that student with professional development along the way. So we have PD at the school. We're going to invite them back. Um, we're going to try to make sure that they get an interview, like at least. So we're going to do everything that we can to support that student while they're in college. Very cool. Thank you, Terrell, for uh, talking about that a little bit. Hitting back on the topic of hiring more educators of color at your school, 
you know, in my view, a lot of schools make excuses, right? And, and probably at the top of the list of those excuses is, oh, we can't find anybody. There's not enough qualified educators of color, which to me is baloney is the nice way of saying it. Uh, but how would you respond to those excuses? Um, so that's this um, company. Like, so first off, there are definitely excuses. Like that people were around. Um, so one of the things that um, our HR director did this year is he went to a flip job fair. Like, so um, uh, it's Black Mill Educators St. Louis, right? They throw like this flip job fair. It's another one coming up in February uh, this year. Just want to plug them. And what uh, happens at this job fair is you have like some of the best Black and Brown educators in the St. Louis area, right? So we're St. Louis Metro in Collinsville. And uh, they interview the schools and and we and then have the schools tell them why they should come there. So if there's a shortage, then that means that some of these educators need to leverage that position. So like the schools come to the and our school went to it and a lot of schools did and um, kind of went in and tried to recruit to see if they can get some of the top educators in the, uh, in the area. We also uh, believe in like going to like universities, like we're doing like job fairs and all kinds of other things. We, I think we went up to like Mizzou and all kinds of stuff. So you could sit back and say, oh, nobody wants to come to you or you could get proactive and actually go out and seek out the best talented, like the most talented uh, minority educators in, in the area if you want to. So, I mean, it's just one, like, you know, it's just how you look at it, I guess. Yeah, it's really interesting. So you said a flip job fair. Uh, people are interviewing the school districts who are making a case of why they should come work at their districts. Uh, have you been a part of one of those job fairs yourself? Yeah, I have. So, you know, I was, I just recently switched positions. I was a school counselor last year and I, uh, I'm an administrator now at, at our high school. So I decided to try it out to see what it was like. And it was, it was really interesting um, because, you know, I'm sitting there in my room at first and I'm thinking, I'm thinking no one's going to come. I'm like, man, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty cool. You guys should stop by. But it's like uh, within like three minutes or so, they came in. And um, so it was I I probably had, I don't know, like six or seven schools in there, like uh, and I'm interviewing them. Uh, One school got uncomfortable, like so they kind of left because, you know, like it was weird, like being in there competing for one educator. Right. So take us take us to that moment, though. Sorry to cut you off. But what made them you don't have to tell us the school district, obviously, probably not appropriate. But what what was it that you were asking that made them uncomfortable? That's it wasn't necessarily what I was asking them. It was just the fact that they were were there first and I was talking to them and then someone else came in. So they felt uncomfortable talking about like their demographics. Actually, that's what, what we were on. We were talking about their demographic situation in that school district. And I guess they felt uncomfortable, you know, like when another district came in. So they kind of moved on. I see. Interesting. Okay. Anything else in terms of shedding light uh, on the type of questions that uh, applicants might be asking at a flip job fair or how let me actually let me back that up. What what could districts communicate to attract highly qualified, the best talent, right? And and educators of color. Let's see, what could they be asking? Asking like the, the applicant or asking themselves? Well, I'm I'm curious about in terms of a district who probably has some sort of initiative that looks nice on a website, right? Right. Or they have an awareness, hey, we want to improve diversity among our staff. But realizing there's work to be done and then actually doing the work are two different things. For sure. And so I'm wondering what those signals are that schools and districts put out to highly talented educators of color that says this is a place where you can thrive. So I think like part of it is just actually doing it. Like for one, like just to be totally honest, like our district for a while, 
um, we have a rep, we had a reputation uh, of not hiring minorities. Like that's what, like when I, whenever I would be around, like, you know, like around other uh, black educators, they would just ask me like, how did you get on there? Because nobody gets hired and stuff like that. Right. Well, part of it is just actually doing it. So like we started hiring people and then, you know, like the perception, like the perception is reality. So like, you know, they like the perceived thing is that you could not get hired here because no one was getting hired here. So we started hiring people and we've hired some really incredible educators. Um, I mean, like just for example, uh, from another district, we uh, hired Dr. Robinson. Like she's incredible. And like she's doing all these things for like IPA and all this stuff. So she's a visible person, you know, like this within the district. So it's very difficult to deny um, that we hire minorities. And then, I mean, just a bunch of other people afterwards that know other people. And like the word of mouth starts going around. And that, and that's one of the most powerful things. Like when uh, you're talking about hiring and, and attracting people, like you could have like the best flyer and best billboard in the world. But if the word of mouth says that uh, minorities feel uncomfortable at your school, yeah. nobody's going to want to go there. You know <laughs> what I mean? So um, I think our word of mouth is great. Um, and that's because like we promote each other. Uh, we nominate each other for awards, obviously. And, um, you know, I mean, like we're, we're just there for each other in a way that is just authentic and unique. And I think that's why people want to come here now. Absolutely. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing, you know, messaging that you could have. Uh, it's, it's worth what's gold for sure. Uh, you have a pretty cool story about the, the newest uh, band director, too. Speaking of word of mouth and tapping into the community. So what's that story? About the newest band director? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was a former student here. He's the first Hispanic uh, band director in our school history. But yeah, he he was a former student here. He uh, did a student teaching. I believe he did it here. And then, um, yeah, he was ultimately hired. And he's doing an incredible job right now. And he connects with the kids from the community. And I, I think, you know, not only like just knowing the language, but just knowing about the community and things like that. Just it just opens up so many doors. Like when you actually you're actually from here and actually from that community. So this is right, right. Was that somebody that you all worked aggressively to reach out to, or was he reaching out to you to get the job? Do you remember? He he, he kind of reached out to us. I mean, because he like he was actually I think he did a student teaching here. Right. So it just made sense. Do you know like when the opportunity presented it presented itself? I'm not sure if uh, a former band director is now an assistant principal. I'm not sure if he's actually he actually personally reached out to him and tapped him, but he was also in on the interview. And so he knows about uh, that uh, the band director's work ethic, how they are like he's known him for so many years since he was in high school, supported him through college and stuff like that. So cool. All right. So we're going to pause here just for a second to get in a message from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'd love to talk uh, a little bit about running. We have that in common. And also, uh, we'd like to highlight your podcast, The Key to Success. So today's BLBS podcast is sponsored by Harvard. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school success, and lead your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools, self-paced online PD that fits your schedule. And you can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. We're also sponsored by TeachFX. Research shows that more students speak in class, the more they learn and the better they perform on standardized tests. TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. 
Get a 20% discount on TeachFX by using a special code just for the Ruckus Maker Nation, teachfx.com slash BLBS. And today's last sponsor is Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. And we are back with Terrell Key, who is currently an assistant principal at Collinsville High School. Uh, He was the Illinois School Counselor of the Year in 2021. He has an awesome podcast that we're going to talk about in just a second called The Key to Success. And not the recording of this video, but when this audio releases, it is Terrell's birthday, which is amazing. So we absolutely, from our Ruckus Maker Nation to you, Terrell, happy birthday, man. You're an amazing educator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, let's let's talk um, running just for a second. And you know my background, uh, education. I was I was on the far south side of uh, Chicago working at Brooks, and I heard about this this nonprofit, uh, Team World Vision. They do clean water projects all around the world for kids. And uh, and I asked, hey, has any high school kids ever run a marathon? This is my story, but long story short, over three years, we had just over 100 kids complete the marathon and raise $25,000 for uh, water projects around the world. And you did the marathon a few years ago, from what I understand. Couldn't even run a mile when you started. So, so tell us a little bit about the experience. Like, why did you decide to run it? And uh, what did you learn about yourself through that process? Oh, man. So this is really cool. So um, I started running uh, as a part of K-Hawks on the go. So uh, it was uh, like so one of our teachers here, Emily Reed, she uh, she came down and she had like these flyers for like K-Hawks on the go, like just to get kids to run a half marathon. Right. You know, just just anything. Right. Just a half marathon. That's not just because still 13.1 miles. But um, and then she asked if we would if I would be like, you know, a club sponsor and kind of help her out. She asked me and another one of our counselors. And uh, so I like we both said yes, but uh, he kind of flaked out on me. He never came. So uh, long story short, like literally, if, if it's something about helping kids, like you probably could talk me into doing it. So I went from not running at all to running a half marathon first, right? So that was the first thing. So I ran a half marathon. And I'm telling you, the first time I I got out super hard, I was determined. I thought I was going to do super great in it, right? And I bombed it like mile nine, right? It was terrible, right? Because you know, like how the the race environment kind of gets you all pumped up and stuff like that. So it, it it was bad, right? So I mean, like it turned into a march instead of a run. And then, so the second time she talks me into it, she said, hey, well, you trained really well. I think you should try it again. So I run a half marathon that time. And like, that's how, like, literally how life is. Like you fail and then you get back up and you try again. So I went from running 210 the first time to 155 the second time. So, and that, I think that was like in like two weeks or something like that. So it was in me. I just ran a bad race and I, I took that information in and learned from it, right? So that was that when I ran that for YMCA. And then, so, all right, so I run that. I'm feeling good. I'm like, okay, we're, we're, you know, so I decided I'm not going to run anymore. So I go, I go back to scratch, 
right? We're back down in no miles, right? <laughs> and uh, she tells me about uh, St. Jude. You know, I kind of knew about St. Jude, you know, St. Jude Hospital, like, mm-hmm. you know, like offer uh, free health care to uh, children with cancer, right? So, you know, so I'm hearing the stories and how I could raise money for children. And, you know, for me, if you want to get me on the hook for something, tell me it's going to help out kids. So, like, we're in this, uh, in the Go St. Louis Convention Center, and uh, she taps me on the shoulder. She said, you should run the marathon. I was like, wait, what? It's like the marathon. Like, I barely made it through a half. And then she was like, think about what you can do for these children and stuff like that, right? So, I sign up, like, months in advance. It's like six months in advance. And then I begin, like, this journey of getting back in shape again. And it was humiliating because I went from running 155, right? So I'm dropping eight-minute miles. You know, I'm thinking I'm doing something, right? I mean, I'm not, like, setting the world on fire, but I'm, I'm doing something. And then uh, to, like, not being able to really run that well, and it started off with, like, walking and running and then, like, just gradually building myself up. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was some, some humiliation in the beginning for letting myself go. And then it just kind of built up over time uh, where, you know, I just just had just, like sometimes it was just great, like to meditate on the road. Um, it was great, like for just like releasing stress from work and everything else. Uh, some of those 20 mile like training runs and stuff like that, I ran it in like like the cold and it was like sleet coming down and stuff like that. But it really just helps you kind of get like in touch with yourself and who you are. It helps you build resiliency. I mean, it, it was it was really just a really really cool experience. So long story short, it's it's uh, we got we drive down to Memphis and it's race that. But nope, let's get back. Let's go back a little bit. So before that, we had like a like a luncheon, and then like like these people like they tell us all about like the children that they've helped. Uh, one of the uh, one of my coworkers, uh, her uh, granddaughter was in St. Jude. You know, uh, you know before mm-hmm. she you know. And um, so, you know, she was telling us the story about her. You know, I'm like, man, like, this is what this is really about. Like, I, I really want, you know, some raising money and I'm terrible at raising money. So I raised the money and I figured out a way to get that done. And, you know, we go down to Memphis and it's race day and I am scared because this is the real deal. Like, this is not the half. This is 26.2 miles. Right. This is the real day, real deal. My father's training room was 20 miles. And I cramped up like there's no tomorrow afterwards. So I finished it and then I just fell apart, right? So race day, I get out and I'm smart this time, right? You know, so I, I, I thought I was anyway, but I still made a mistake. So I start off easy, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to go out too fast. I'm just, I'm just going to relax. And then, so I had like a strategy. I was like, I'm going to run them out, walk for 30 seconds, then run, run, you know, run whatever, walk 30 seconds. And it was working. Right. So I was under I think I was like at 930 for 20 miles. But there's one thing that I messed up on nutrition. Mm. I, I was not taking in enough nutrition. So um, I was using I think I wasn't using like gels. No, I was using like those that gummy pack. I was right, using right. like the gummy pack or whatever. But I wasn't taking in enough calories like for a four hour plus one. You know what I mean? So at uh, mile 20. I, um, I tried to stretch and I cramped up and it was bad. It was so bad. Like I literally had to call my wife. I was like, Hey man, you know, I know we came down to Memphis. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I just, I just needed somebody to, to vent to. So I, I talked to her, my friends were supposed to be at mile 20 supporting me, but they decided to play a prank. They were at mile 24. 
And that played with me mentally. It's like, where are my friends at? I know they're down here. Like, where are you guys at? Like, what are you doing? So at mile 24, um, they were there. Like, and I saw them for like a split second. And then at mile 25, there was this enormous hill, right? And um, they told us before. (laughs) Yep. You ran it before? Yep. No, I mean, but so, Chicago has a mini hill at the end, too. That's what just races do to mess with you. Yeah, and um, they told us before we ran that when you go up this hill, like, there's a pink hospital, like, hospital building, and that's where the children are. And, like, many of them cannot oh, wow. leave the hospital. So when you're thinking about complaining about this hill, I want you to look up at that hospital and remember what those children are going through mm. and, and, still, and think to yourself, do you still want to complain? I couldn't. Wow. So I just kept going and ultimately I finished and uh, it was great. That is an impressive story at the end there with the hospital piece. And what it reminds me of is this Victor Frankl quote, which is that a man can uh, deal with almost any how when his why is strong enough. Right. So if you if you right are remembering why you're running the purpose for all of that. And you think about those kids, you just keep pushing through. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for uh, just how you supported the, the children as well. So a uh, quick question of just about plug your podcast real quick. The key to success. Uh, who, who's like, who's the ideal listener and what's that show all about? So the ideal listener is uh, I would say Probably, I mean, like, because I'm a, I'm a former school counselor, so more than likely it's going to be like a 30 to 50 year old uh, white female, more than likely, you know. Um, but the the I like my ideal listener is someone that is looking for hope, you know. Um, the the entire uh, premise of my podcast and why why I got started, I was reading the news one day, right, and every story was bad, and I thought to myself. There has to be some good news. And if not, I'll make it right. (laughs) I'll make it myself. Um, So I I started thinking, like, what could I talk about? I was like, well, I have all of these incredible friends. They're they're all over the country. And they're doing all of these really cool things. And we have such interesting conversations. But the problem is, it's like all house here, right? Like on the phone or on a Zoom call. And no one else can see it. So what I ended up doing was, uh, so we, we started off. Uh, with me just kind of talking about my journey, like growing as as an educational leader and then uh, doing an interview. So like every uh, I do every one uh, episode a week. I, that's what I was doing before. Right. That was how I got started. That's how the on like the uh, the one, the anchor, like the at, like the audio only is probably going to be once a week. But on YouTube now, like this week, I kind of started thinking, got to provide more content. And there's so much that uh, parents don't understand about education and how it works. And then also there's some educators that want to read articles and things like that, but sometimes they don't have time. And sometimes it's just easier to listen to somebody else. So I started doing um, like article reviews and how-to videos and different things like that to create some shorter form content that people could digest a little bit easier. Um, so really, like the thing is like, my, like the spin, pretty much anything, no matter how bad it is, like I try to look at how we could change things, how we can make things better. I don't really get uh, like caught into like the, the dumps of like, oh, all, oh, what was me? All this stuff is bad. I always want to know, like, how can I create change? What could I do? Um, and then one of the ways that I kind of like kind of started to shift my mindset that way, I've always been like an optimist. But I went to therapy for the first time last year, right? First time. And I was telling the therapist, like, I was like, 
oh man, I got all this stuff going on and you know, blah, 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 woe is me. And she said, do you think that that's ever going to stop for you? Do you think that's going to ever stop? And then like, it was like that moment of acceptance. It's like, no, I'm just going to keep doing more. Like, that's what I do. I do more. Um, so, uh, so I accepted it. And then since that's like now my accepted reality, now I can deal with what I can do uh, to make change, to improve my life, to make me happier uh, and to do more uh, for other people. Because I feel like I'm a servant uh, first. Like I want to serve people. I want to help people. And I want to create change uh, with this, this life that I was given. All right. Well, Terrell, if you could put a message on all school marquees across the globe for a single day, what would your message read? I would say, um, it would say you could be anything, um, anything you commit to. And so be careful and choose happiness. You're building a school from the ground up, Terrell. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build this dream school? What would be your top three non-negotiables? Top three? Okay, I have like 27. But um, three. 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 All right. We'll stick to three. All right. So first off, um, I would want to be um, in a poor community. I I don't you know, I want to reach like the kids um, that might not see opportunity like in school. They might not see school as an opportunity. I would try to bring in like the the top teachers, school counselors and administrators I could possibly could. I would have like robust like partnerships, like in the community, like they would see us everywhere. Um, and I would pay, pay teachers. Well, everybody would be happy there since I get unlimited money. So like we would have kids doing community service, whether it's like cleaning the neighborhoods, getting the trash up, mowing lines, uh, so that they felt ownership, like in a different way of the community. Um, I would have top tier technology and partnerships, you know, like with like different like software agencies, like so kids can learn coding and all kinds of things because it's going to be the way of the future. And then like kids would have like a support hour. I would build in an extra hour where they could get uh, academic, uh, like academic career, social, emotional support. Teachers would have mental health professionals. And uh, I mean, one to one technology. Like, I mean, I would run the tab all the way up and try to, to create like make the school like the shining light in that community. Uh, where people saw it as a possibility, like for uh, for upward mobility, I would say my non-negotiables would be um, I want the the teachers, the, my best teachers, to teach the kids that need the most help. So I would go bottom heavy. I would I would give them as much as I possibly could. I would give them all the support, whether it's at home or school. Like I would try to do everything possible uh, to support the kids that need the most, the kids with the aces and stuff like that. I would say that um, I got to have great technology, too, because I feel like like the smart boards and the, the one-to-one like tablets and stuff like that, I could shrink the world. I could bring in people that might not be able to physically step into the building. I could There's so much that I could do. And then also I would want to – I'm just thinking what else would I – like three, the third thing. Like I think that we have to be active in the community. I think the the, the adults – and the students have to be active in the community because we would have to reclaim the community away from whatever problems like are plaguing the community. Like we need to clean it up. Like we need to like we need 
school, my school needs to look amazing and the community needs to look amazing. And I want people to have hope. Like, I mean, it's hard to hope when you got holes in the walls of your school and, you know, like you're not getting a good lunch and stuff like that. So I want, I want, I want those things. I want kids to have a hub that they could see school as the place of hope. Terrell, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground. So of everything we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? That literally, you like sometimes in life, you, you want someone to make change, right? And you look left, you look right, and there's no one there, right? But I want them, I want every ruckus maker to know that they are the person that creates change. Like you create the change yourself. You're never like, and you have to do things sometimes that you're not even ready for in order to do it. So there's nothing wrong with not being fully ready. Like there's nothing wrong with it. Just get out there and start and try to make change every single day. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.